in your Bible, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we'll look at one verse today, verse 35, John 4, 35. I'm excited about our Greater Things initiative. I can't wait to see what God is going to do next week and the week following in the months and years ahead. Next Sunday is an important day in the life of our church. I'll talk about that more in just a minute. Specifically what we're asking you to do and specifically what we want to see God accomplish. I'm going to ask you to join me as we pray that God would do greater things and we ask that that would become a reality. Right now we're in the middle of our prayer emphasis, our 10-day journey of prayer for greater things. And I hope you're spending time with the Lord I hope you've been praying, I hope you've been asking, I hope you've been seeking, I hope you've been knocking, and I hope you've been looking to the Lord for guidance. Uh, and I hope you've been praying and listening. Ultimately, that's what it's about. It's about us growing to the place where we can listen to the Lord and follow Him in faith and in obedience. And uh, I'm asking you to be prepared to give. I'm asking you next Sunday to come. Uh, with a first fruits offering. We call it the first fruits offering because the very first and the very best goes to the Lord. And I'm asking you to come with your commitment card. Many of you received your packets this week, and in the packet there was a letter from me and then a brochure and some information, envelopes and commitment cards. And I want you to make a first fruits offering, and I also want you to be ready to give a three-year commitment, uh, to make a three-year commitment to our Greater Things initiative and our Greater Things project. Remember, why are we doing this? We're doing this for God, we're doing it for the church, and we're doing it for our community. We're doing it first and foremost for the glory of God. We're doing it for the church so that we can advance and be the body of Christ that God's called us to be. And we're doing it so that our community might see tangibly, visibly, the message of the gospel lived out. And I'm asking every person, every couple, every family, and every church member to step up and to ask God for greater things. I pray that you'll join me. We're asking God if He would do greater things. And I'm asking you to join me in prayer and in giving generously to see greater things become a reality. While a major part of this is to build the nicest park in Houston County, right off of our new property on Highway 96, a major road through a major growing area in our community. Also, we've already begun to make improvements to our campus. Have y'all seen the new parking lot, the resealing and the restriping? Doesn't that look good? Didn't they do a great job with that? That's awesome, right? They did an awesome job. It was much needed much needed, and we had to go ahead and do that, and I'm just going to be honest with you, we did that in faith, expecting that our church would step up and give generously as we pray for God to do greater things. We needed to go ahead and do it at the right time. We didn't know it was going to stay 90 degrees through December, but you have to do it at the right time. If you do it in cold weather, it's, uh, it's not good. We may have to wait another year, so we were grateful we had the opportunity to go ahead and do that. That's part of it. Other improvements here on our property and facility, we want to continue to expand and reach our community while improving our current campus and facilities in order to make people continue to feel welcome here at Second Baptist Church as well. So specifically what we're asking is between next Sunday and the end of December, I'm asking you to give generously and I'm praying that we'll raise $300,000 between next Sunday and the end of December. That will help with improvements right here on our campus. And then we're praying for commitments over and above our tithes and regular offerings of $3 million over the next three years. 
as we give to greater things and we watch the vision become a reality on 100 acres over off of Highway 96. That's specifically what we're asking you to do. And today we'll talk about what greater things means. And here's the title for the church, for God, for the church and for our community. So today we're talking about what it means for the church. I want us to come together in unity. I want us to grow spiritually. I want us to live boldly. I want us to give generously. And that's what it means. Part of this is a significant spiritual journey where the people of God are to come together and to grow in depth of discipleship, in faith, and in obedience. So today we come to John chapter 4 and verse 35. John 4 verse 35. And I want, you to talk, I want to talk to you about this idea of what it means for the church of God to be the body of Christ that he has called us to be. One verse today, John 4, 35. Listen to what Jesus says. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Remember, the power's in the perfect Word of God. Today, I believe that Jesus is speaking to us as well. He's speaking to His disciples in John 4, but by extension, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He's speaking to us today. He's speaking to His church that there are people that are ready to be reached with the gospel, and we need to step up to the challenge. But what I've noticed in this verse today, and we'll talk about this, is there are two perspectives. Jesus highlights two perspectives. And perspective, sometimes they say, is everything. You ever heard that? You've heard perception is reality. People talk about how perspective is so important. Perspective makes a difference. And Jesus is saying that when it comes to the church, being the church, there are two perspectives. First of all, perspective one, we have plenty of time. First perspective says, don't worry, there's no rush, we have plenty of time. Jesus wants us to take an eternal perspective about life, about people, about souls, and about reality. He wants us to take an eternal perspective. But the first perspective that we often take is this idea that we have plenty of time. Notice the phrase, Jesus says, do you not say that there are four months and then the harvest is going to come? In other words, Jesus is saying there's a, there's a common proverb among the Jewish community. We plant and then four months later, we're able to reap a harvest. And while that's a common saying, Jesus is drawing on this common proverb among the people. Now, remember in John chapter 4, Jesus has just met with the Samaritan woman at the well. He met with this woman and Jews weren't supposed to speak to Samaritans, yet Jesus speaks to her. Men weren't supposed to speak to ladies in public, yet Jesus speaks to her. And holy men weren't supposed to speak to women like her. But Jesus spoke to her. He sat down with her and he told her, I have a water that you don't even know about, springs of water that flow within you. And then he began to speak to her. And the Bible tells us that she walked away from that conversation changed. And she went back and told all the people in the village, I met a man who told me everything that I did. And he offered hope and salvation, rescue and redemption. So here in Samaria, 
Jesus speaks to this Samaritan woman and the disciples were out trying to find food. And then they return and they see all these people from Samaria begin to come gather around to see this man who told this Samaritan woman everything that she'd ever done. Now the image of the harvest, that's a common image in Scripture. Jesus used the harvest to talk about the parable of the seed and the sower and the soil. Jesus used the image of the harvest to talk about the parable of the wheat and the tares. Paul says in Galatians, don't grow weary in well-doing. Right? Why? Because in due season you will reap what you've sown. The image of the harvest. It's a common image throughout Scripture. And it's a common image because Jesus is making a point that we sow the seed of the gospel in the heart of people. We water it. We nurture it. We nourish it. We ask God to bless it and to give the increase. And we pray that we will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the harvest. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that's planted in the lives and the hearts of people. But the Jews would have said as they walked into the town of Sychar, Samaria, there can be no harvest here. We don't want to reach Samaritans. We're not interested in these half-breeds. That's what the Jews would say. That's what they called Samaritans. We don't care. But Jesus went right into the heart of the people, right where they were. He began to work. He began to minister. The harvest was ready. They only needed workers. The point is, and this is a reality for us today, we almost always procrastinate when it comes to taking bold steps with God. Jesus says to his disciples, you like to say we've got plenty of time, four months and then the harvest. You like to say that it's all good, there's no rush. And you and I have a tendency to procrastinate as well. How do I know? Well, we've got this family member that needs to know Christ, but we'll see him at Thanksgiving. Then we'll see him at Christmas, maybe at New Year's. We've got plenty of time. There's a coworker who needs to know the Lord, but it's not the right time. I've got plenty of time. So we procrastinate about the things that are most important. We err on the side of complacency. We'd rather sit back and watch what happens instead of step up and make something happen. Procrastination. Jesus says, I know that there's a familiar phrase. We've got four months and then the harvest comes. But this is what he's saying. Listen, church, listen. Jesus is saying, don't think that people are like plants. You plant the seed and you've got to wait, wait, and wait. There are people out there. There are people here today in this moment who are ready to trust Jesus Christ right now. Why do we continually put it off? Why do we always have the idea that now is not the time to act, that we need to wait? Because we're uncomfortable, because we're nervous. We don't know how we'll be perceived. If we have the message of the gospel that is the hope for the world, why aren't we delivering it and planting seed as much as we can? Don't say that we've got more time. There ought to be a sense of urgency. I heard about a little boy, a farm boy. It was rolling down the road with a wagon full of corn. And the wagon load of corn overturned. One of the neighbor farmers came by to investigate and said, Hey, Willis, what happened? Well, my, my trailer rolled over and the corn's all on the side of the road. He said, Hey, I'll tell you what. Forget your troubles and come to dinner with me and my family and I'll help you out. A little afterwards, the boy said, I don't know about that. I don't think Paul would like that very much. The neighbor insisted, oh, don't worry about it. 
don't worry about it. I'll help you afterwards. Come eat a hearty meal. We'll be ready to go. The boy said, I don't know. I'm not sure Paul would like that very much. Well, the neighbor insisted, and finally, little boy Willis said, okay, all right, I'll come eat, but I don't think Paul will like it very much. After a hearty dinner, Willis thanked his host, the neighbor farmer, and said, I thank you so much. I, I feel a lot better now. I just know Paul's not going to be real happy with me at all. He said, son, don't be foolish. It's okay. I'll help you get the corn back up. Where is your dad anyway? The little boy said, he's up underneath the wagon right now. <laughs> Why do we put off the things that we know are urgent? Is this just me or, or is it you as well? Do we have a tendency to procrastinate from time to time? Students, do you wait till that last minute, the night before the test, to study and to cram, or maybe the morning in homeroom? I'm looking at the students right now, and they're looking at each other like, I don't do that, do you? I don't do that, do you? Wait till the last moment to write the paper. Wait till the last moment to get that project done or to put together the presentation. We do those things, and it seems like we do the same thing when it comes to those things that are even more important. We push them away and put them off. Things like eternity and death and life and salvation and heaven and hell. How can we procrastinate when so much is at stake? We put it off. Gloria Pitzer wrote a clever little poem about procrastination. She says, procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. You ever feel like that? Always pushing away the things that are most needed. The first perspective is we've got plenty of time. The second perspective, and this is the one I want us to have, and I believe this is the one Jesus wants us to have. Now is the time to act. Perspective two, now is the time to act. Jesus says, you've got this common saying We've got plenty of time. We've planted the seed. Now there's four months into the harvest. But Jesus says, lift up your eyes. I want you to recognize the fields are white. The first perspective is the natural way of looking at things. We've got plenty of time. Don't you think the enemy would want you to believe that we have plenty of time? That there's no urgency. Plenty of time to see our family saved. Plenty of time to see our friends saved. Plenty of time to act, but you never know what might happen. In the simplest terms, Jesus is saying, you've got a saying, agriculturally speaking. It is correct. There are four months and then the harvest. That's the way it works between sowing and reaping. Agriculturally, that's true. But spiritually, it's not true. Spiritually speaking, Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes, disciples. Look around you, church. Followers of Christ, pay attention. There are those who need Christ. And Jesus says to his disciples and to us by extension, if you want to follow me, you need to know the secret of my heart. And that is, there's always a sense of immediacy and urgency about the harvest. The harvest is here. The harvest is now. When he said the fields are white unto harvest, that's significant. If you look at that, some translations say the fields are ripe, but literally the word is white. The fields are white unto harvest. What does he mean? Well, as you've been riding around seeing some cotton fields, maybe you think, well, that's what he means, the cotton fields. That's not what he's talking about. Literally, in Sychar, Samaria, what Jesus was probably seeing at that moment is the woman at the well had already gone to town to begin to tell other people about this Jesus that she'd met. A man who changed her life from the inside out and transformed her powerfully. 
And so by that time, Jesus probably looks up. And from all these roads and all these places, he sees the people of Samaria coming, wearing their traditional white robes on the way to meet this man who could change their lives forever. And Jesus says to his disciples, look up, pay attention, get a sense of urgency about the people that are coming. Look out there and see the fields that are white and the harvest right now. Jesus was pointing out the spiritual harvest is always ready and must be reaped before it spoils. If you leave the harvest in the field, it doesn't last forever. As he was speaking, Samaritans are coming. And these Jews are thinking, how in the world? How in the world can we even begin to to communicate the message of the gospel to these Samaritans? And Jesus is teaching us and his followers, the gospel's not just for one select group of people. It is for everyone, everywhere, who comes to the cross in repentance. The only qualification of coming to Jesus Christ is faith and repentance. It has nothing to do with where you're from. It has nothing to do with what color you are. It has nothing to do with your class or socioeconomic status. It has nothing to do with the way you were raised or how much you go to church. It is the cross in faith and repentance. That's what's required. And that's what we must proclaim. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The disciples were missing opportunities. They didn't want to go through Samaria. They didn't care about the Samaritans. Jesus said, I don't want you to miss these opportunities. There was a pleasure boat, the Robert E. Lee pleasure boat. It steamed out of Vicksburg. Hundreds of people were on board. One night after midnight, the boat caught fire. The captain discovered the fire and told his first mate, you don't have much time. Rush down through the saloon and through every corridor of this boat and you need to let people know the boat is on fire. He didn't have time to make any explanations. He banged on doors up and down the hallways through the saloon and the bar. The boat is on fire. The boat is on fire. Strangely, some people became very angry that they were awakened so rudely and went right back to sleep. Other people thought it was a drunkard or maybe a practical joker. Some people were amused and began laughing at this person. And they laughed until you could hear them screaming in terror as the fire overcame them. Others heard the warning and couldn't believe it. And wanted to wait again to hear the warning one more time just to make sure they had the clear message. But as the young man ran down the corridor, the message was heard only one time and they could not hear it any longer. His cries grew fainter and fainter. And in a few minutes, they were swept down to a frightful death. But there were some who heard the warning. The boat is on fire. And they believed it to be true. They awakened from their sleep and they escaped to their safety. This is exactly the way we treat the warnings of God. Some people hear the warnings of God. The boat is on fire. And some people are offended and angered by that message. They don't want to be bothered. 
Some people are angry with the message of the gospel. Others are amused or entertained. Then there are those who hear the gospel and they think, is that exactly what I heard? But that message grows fainter and fainter in their ears. They wait for a convenient time to get right with God. But then there are some who choose to respond to the message and to flee to safety so that they can be rescued through Jesus Christ. And it is for their sakes that we as a church must proclaim the message. The boat is on fire. Time is running out. Can I be honest with you today? If you look at our society and you think we're all in the same boat, you and I know the boat is on fire. Things are falling apart around us and there is no hope in the Republican Party. There is no hope in the Democrat Party. The only hope is Jesus Christ. The boat is on fire and we are all going down and we must proclaim with a sense of urgency, run to Jesus, the only one who saves, the only one who rescues, the only one who can deliver you from the frustration and damnation and destruction that we all face. That's it. We ought to have a sense of urgency. We ought to care. Our society is crumbling and burning to the ground. People scoff, people laugh, people look around in disbelief, but the church of God must know and proclaim with urgency and boldness, come to Jesus. I want to focus on this last praise in verse 35. Jesus says, the fields are white for harvest. Now, of course, you know Jesus is speaking in agricultural terms and making a spiritual application about the condition of people's souls. But this morning, as I conclude, I want to make an even wider, broader, more significant application for our situation. The fields are white for harvest. Every Saturday throughout the week during any particular victory sports or upward season, you can walk onto our fields and you can see that they are ripe and ready for harvest. These fields that we have across the street, these fields that we're planning to build off of Highway 96, these will be fields that are ripe, that are white, that are ready for harvest. Have you ever been here on a Saturday or game day throughout the week? Have you ever been here or even driven by to see thousands of people just on what we have over here coming to see their sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters and aunts and uncles and nieces and all of this, thousands of people gathering around to watch a baseball or a soccer ball or here to watch a basketball. People that might never set foot in the doors of a church can hear the gospel because they come to watch somebody kick or hit or throw or shoot a ball. What an incredible opportunity that God has entrusted to us and how we've maximized the ministry with what He's given us, but now how He's prepared us to see that grow exponentially times ten, a hundred, a thousand. Imagine how many thousands of people could come to a hundred acres on any given day and hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God saves, that Jesus loves them. They think they're coming to watch ball and Jesus is getting ready to rock their world, save their souls. That's what it's about. And Jesus says to us, lift up your eyes. Get your eyes off yourself 
and your circumstances and your situation. Get your eyes on the fields and watch what Jesus wants to do in the lives of families in our community. Get your eyes off your own needs and look to the greater needs, the gospel needs. This is why we do this. Because Jesus is sending us a harvest each and every week. And we must be faithful to work the fields and to see souls saved for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what this is about. Lift up your eyes. Look around you to the sea of people that he sends us now. And imagine. Dream. Catch the vision for the untold thousands that he'll send our way. And we get to share the gospel, the life-changing message of Jesus, and see people come to his kingdom. Lift up your eyes, church. The fields are ripe. They're ready. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? We can, we can say we've got plenty of time. There's no urgency. We'll put it off another day. Or we can say with Jesus, now, now is the time to act. Eternity is too long. Heaven is too sweet. Hell is too hot. And souls are too precious for us to put this off any longer.